sent by special cable from France on May the 22nd, 1922. The New York Times reported on a very curious case. They said, A baffling mystery is exciting the inhabitants of the small Brittany village of Goa Aludu in the Brest district. Early in April, a little girl, Pauline Picard, disappeared from her parents' farm, all searches proving fruitless. However, just as her parents had given up all hope of ever finding their daughter, it was reported from the faraway town of Cherbourg that a small girl had been found there, whose age and appearance corresponded very similarly to that of the missing Pauline. Her parents hurried to Cherbourg to be reunited with her, and on meeting the child, they said, with much relief, that this child was indeed their lost two-year-old daughter Pauline. Strangely, however, it was reported that the child did not seem to recognise her parents at all, and she remained completely mute, unable or unwilling to speak, when addressed in the Breton dialect she'd grown up speaking. Her parents, and the nuns at the orphanage in which she'd been placed, put this down to the trauma of what she'd been through. Somehow she'd ended up over 200 miles from home. The nuns had received the little girl after she'd been found wandering alone among the shops in the town centre. Mr and Mrs Pickard joyously took their daughter back, home to be with her siblings, all eight of them, on the family farm. Immediately upon returning, her brothers and sisters were overjoyed to see the little girl returned unharmed, and they embraced her back into the fold. Newspapers from France reported the child was recognised by neighbours and the police officer who accompanied her from Cherbourg was satisfied that she really was Pauline Picard. As for her unexpected vanishing, she disappeared from the family farm one afternoon while out playing in the yard. As soon as her absence was noted, her family and neighbours had searched the farm and the surrounding land and summoned the police to assist them. No sign of Pauline could be found. The search for her continued for days, then weeks. Every patch of land thoroughly searched, but they found no clues about where the child could be. Le Matin, the French newspaper said, the gendarmes and police inspectors spent the next month searching the country, but no trace of the child could be found. People began to think that little Pauline had been eaten by a wild boar while the New York Times reported it was thought she must have been taken by gypsies, although none had been observed in the neighbourhood at the time of her disappearance. But now she was home, wasn't she? On Saturday, May the 27th, 1922, the Pall Mall Gazette reported, a strange mystery which revives another mystery is engaging the attention of all Brittany. A mystery of a lost, a found and a dead girl. What did they mean? Says Le Matin, the adventure appeared to have reached a happy ending until yesterday a startling discovery was made, which makes the whole affair more mysterious than ever. A farmer, crossing a field about a mile from Goa Aludu, discovered the horribly mutilated body of a small girl, entirely naked and her head cut off. Close by, carefully folded, lay the clothes. The Pall Mall Gazette said, her body was in the last stage of decomposition. After the farmer stumbled across the terrible scene of the headless, mutilated little body, he hurried back to the village to summon the gendarmerie, and they went to the spot at which the small body lay. Many curious villagers followed them, including Mr and Mrs Pickard. The Pickards immediately recognised the neatly piled clothes as those which their daughter Pauline had been wearing on the day she vanished. But how could this be? 
Three days later, a further report came. Closer investigation of the circumstances under which the body was found and the medical examination have added still further to the detective's difficulties. So careful was the search made at the time of Pauline's disappearance that the body would have been discovered had it been lying where it was found. And the body could not be identified, the face having been partly devoured by foxes. Was this Pauline after all? But if so, why had they not found her body in all the searches? Or was it a different little girl? The Picard said Pauline had been safely returned to them. But why were Pauline's clothes now lying beside another small body that no longer had a face? If it were Pauline, how could her parents and siblings and neighbours all mistake her for another child? If the body found was Pauline's, then who was this little girl now living with the Picards? The French newspapers said the Picards are now uncertain whether the child they have been nursing for more than a month is really their own. And as for the police, the papers reported, they are now faced with a threefold task to discover the murderer, identify the murdered child, and if she is proved to be Pauline Picard, discover the identity of the little girl from Cherbourg. However, there is yet another twist. The most startling discovery of all is that the unrecognisable head found close to the child's body, reported the papers, is not the skull of a small child, but of a grown man. So, there are now two dead people, the body of a child and the head of a man. So we have a missing girl, a girl returned, who is a doppelganger of Pauline, a dead girl and a dead man, all of whom remain unidentified. Which out of these is Pauline? Who is the girl fetched from Cherbourg? Who is the child's body in the field? And where is her head? Where is the dead man's body and who is he? The Nottingham Journal of Tuesday the 30th of May 1922 wrote, A telegram from Breton states that the post-mortem held on little Pauline Picard shows that the three-year-old child who was lost died of hunger. So they seem to be accepting that the body is Pauline's, yet surely she didn't die of hunger, she died because her head had been cut off. Or does it mean that her head was cut off after she was dead? The next day, the Yorkshire Post reported, To the astonishment of the inhabitants of the village, the conclusion is that the child died as a result of an accident. The state of the remains do not permit examination to throw light on the manner of death. But the fact that the head was severed from the body, and the clothes were folded by the side of the remains, led to the conclusion that a crime had been committed. And they added, The terrible mutilations according to the authorities might have been caused by the foxes which might, it is stated, have shaken off the clothing. Those who do not attribute the child's death to accident think that in the case of this, the clothes would not be clean and carefully placed together. Well, after all, foxes can't fold clothing, can they? If it was Pauline, her body and clothes did not seem to have been lying there for long. The prolific Fortean writer of the day, Charles Fort, born 1874, wrote, It could not have long been lying there, so conspicuous but unseen the body placed in a conspicuous position, as if planning to have it found. It seems that the clothes, also conspicuous, have not been lying there for several weeks, subject to the disturbing effects of rain and wind. Someone had killed and decapitated a little girl, hidden her away somewhere, then taken her to the field and placed her clothes neatly beside her, along with a man's skull, it would seem. Did the man's skull belong to the little girl's murderer? But then where was his body? Or had they both been killed by someone else? Villagers talked amongst themselves and to the authorities, 
The French newspapers reported, People are talking about two strangers who were seen in the area at the time, and a neighbour says she saw two strangers in town who hung around the farm during the time the disappearance took place, and that they were watching Pauline. While other villagers suggested a chimney sweep came into town and enticed Pauline with candy, then abducted her. But the police could not find these men. Then there was talk of a Mr. Kerrimon, an umbrella salesman. He worked as a farmhand on Mr. and Mrs. Picard's farm, and the French newspapers say he had been invited to have breakfast with the family on the day Pauline disappeared. As the investigation progressed, further gruesome details emerged. The hands and feet of the decapitated little body in the field are missing. Meanwhile, the gendarmerie found the umbrella salesman and questioned him. They retraced his steps on the day of Pauline's disappearance, but it transpired that his travel movements on that day placed him elsewhere when Pauline vanished, and so he could not have been the person who abducted her. Next to fall under suspicion was a farmer, Mr. Eves Martin, who lived close by. He was said to have paid a visit to the Picard farm after Pauline was returned, and his behaviour was odd to say the least. It was reported that he was silent at first when he entered the Picard's farmhouse. He inquired if Pauline really had returned home. On hearing that she had indeed, he apparently then became quite hysterical, burst into laughter that made him sound unhinged, and with a crazy look in his eyes he muttered, May God forgive me. What had he done? The following day he was taken to a lunatic asylum, raving mad, and there he was to remain. Meanwhile, the Picards finally accepted that although their little girl had now begun to speak the odd word in Breton, she was probably not their daughter after all, and they agreed to hand her back to the authorities to be returned to the orphanage in Cherbourg. The grand mystery, however, was far from solved. The two mystery men watching Pauline were never located, nor the chimney sweep, and though the umbrella salesman and the farmer now held in a lunatic asylum were both ruled out as suspects, the gendarmerie failed to come up with any other persons of interest. Was the little body found in the field Pauline Picard? Where was her head? Who did the man's skull belong to? And where was his body? Was he Pauline's killer? Or was he killed by whoever killed Pauline? Who killed them? And why? The Vanishing of Patricia Meehan is a strange and bizarre tale. It's a case that has received significant media attention because of its unusual circumstances, as well as the fact that her family travelled cross-country in their search for her. Somehow, she simply disappeared into the night. Born in Pennsylvania, Meehan attended college in Oklahoma, with a view to working with children, gaining a degree in early childhood development. By 1985, however, she changed career, moved to Montana, and became a ranch hand. She'd always had a sense of adventure and a desire to live life to the full. She had a zest for life, and she'd changed her mind now about working with children for a new ambition of working with animals. She settled down in Bozeman, Montana, but found that she struggled with the low wage and she had to work several part-time jobs to keep the money coming in. By this time, she was 37 years of age and single. The last person to see her, alive, had been her landlord, who later reported to police that she'd seemed okay when he'd seen her, but he added that she appeared a little more hyperactive than usual, not like she normally was. He added that she was a great tenant and he'd never had any trouble collecting rent from her. What happened next is a baffling thing.
Driver Peggy Buell and her father were travelling westbound on the State Highway 200 at 8.05pm on the evening of April 20th, 1989. They were driving through the small town of Circle when, to their shock, they saw a set of headlights coming straight at them. A car was coming at them, driving on the wrong side of the road. Somehow, Peggy managed to swerve off the highway onto the shoulder to avoid what would have been a head-on crash. Behind her car was an off-duty police dispatcher called Carol Heights, but sadly for her, she was not so fortunate and she smashed into the car coming towards her. Although, fortunately, she wasn't injured. She was able to get out of her car, shaken up but unharmed. Out of the other car emerged Patricia. The police dispatcher said she calmly, silently approached me. From the moment she began to approach, she seemingly stared directly through me. Peggy and her father sat in their car on the shoulder of the highway, watching as Patricia walked past the police dispatcher and bizarrely climbed over a fence along the highway. As she landed on the other side of the fence, she took a look behind her back at the crash site. She stood there staring for what was estimated by witnesses to be about two minutes. The police dispatcher described that it looked as though she was acting like someone who was observing an accident rather than being a person who'd been involved in it. Then she simply turned back around and began to walk off into the field beside the highway in the dark night. This was the last confirmed sighting of her. During the subsequent police search for her around the crash site, tennis shoe tracks were found about three quarters of a mile from the car crash. They were believed to be Patricia's due to the size of them and the police followed the tracks until they stopped. Patricia was a petite blonde, 5 foot 3 inches tall and weighing just 100 pounds. She was wearing blue jeans and white tennis shoes. By the time the police arrived, she was gone. Peggy left the scene and drove into the nearby town while her father stayed behind with the police dispatcher. By the time the police came, they had no idea where she'd gone, just that she'd walked off into the field in the dark. An extensive search of the field was carried out by the police, but she was gone. The police believed she'd fled the scene out of fear of getting in trouble over the crash, although they found that she had no previous criminal record. They found a tennis shoe about one mile into the field, followed by a trail of footprints, and yet the footprints then bizarrely seemed to stop. As it was so dark, the police decided to abandon the search and return in daylight. When they did return the next morning, they could see that the footprints simply stopped. The police believed that she must have continued barefoot, but they could not see where she'd gone. They presumed that perhaps she could have hitchhiked from a small road off the field, or maybe jumped on a passing hay truck, although they could find no one around who'd been driving a hay truck in the dark that night. That morning, her worried family arrived from Pittsburgh. They quickly arranged to have hundreds of missing persons posters handed out in the nearby towns. They offered as much information as they could to the police about their loved one, and many calls came in from people offering information to help try to find her, and more than 500 people came voluntarily to help in the searches for her. They all walked the terrain near the crash site and beyond, trying to find anything that would leave them to where she'd gone. Tracker dogs were brought in to try to follow her scent, but all of the searches failed to find her or any clues at all about where she'd gone. There was absolutely no trace of her, no sign of a struggle, and nothing left behind. Her family explained that she'd been feeling down in the weeks and months prior to her strange vanishing. They explained that she was feeling lost, confused about her life path and where she was heading. 
She'd even asked her parents if she could return home for a while to get herself back on track. Her parents said that of course she could come home, but they added that they did want her to seek help from a counsellor too. She said that she would, and in fact, the counsellor diagnosed her with suffering from depression. She was due to go back for her next appointment the day after she disappeared. Her parents were puzzled about why she was heading in the opposite direction, away from the town she was living in on the night of the crash. They had no idea where she could have been heading or why. An evocative image of her is still available online, in which she's taken a selfie. She appears to be staring off into the distance in the photo, unlike most selfies where people are looking directly into the camera. It could be said that her expression backs up her parents' information about her feeling lost and the way she'd stared at the accident scene before she'd walked off into the night. The selfie had come from a roll of film that had been found in her car. There were many photos on this roll of the countryside and photos of animals too, but there were no photos of any friends or boyfriends. And the selfie is haunting. Psychologists and other professionals assessed this photo, offering opinions that perhaps she was suffering from some kind of amnesia, yet this photo was taken before she'd crashed. Or they'd speculated that her mental health had got so bad that she could not even find her way home that night. She'd been driving on the wrong side of the road, and when approaching the oncoming cars had made no effort to try to swerve to avoid them. The psychologists and police wondered if she'd been trying to kill herself. She'd told her parents that she'd made very few friends since she'd moved to the area. In 1989, a waitress at a restaurant in her hometown, Montana, reported seeing her there. She said she spoke to Patricia, who seemed to be in a rush. Two weeks after she vanished, a lead came in of a reported sighting in Luverne, Minnesota. It came from a cop, Officer Steve Coxmaski, who believed that he'd seen her in a restaurant sitting by herself. He said she was in the restaurant for five hours, sitting alone in a booth, just drinking water. When she finally left, as the restaurant closed, she made her way across the road to an all-night diner. He followed her inside and asked her some questions. She told him she was from Israel and wouldn't give her name. Cox Muskie arrested her after she threw a newspaper in the street. However, Kurt Flesher of Spokane, an ex-boyfriend, told police that this was not her. Although there was a strong resemblance and the voice was similar, it was not her. Over 5,000 leads would come in over the years that followed. Jack Limsand, the undersheriff, who's worked the case since she vanished, said, A lot of people say she's still up there in the hills. But as much as we've covered it, it's dang near impossible. There were ranches up every day. Someone would have seen an item of clothing or a fragment of bone. He says he remembers taking out the dogs that night, searching for her by the moonlight. Suddenly, her trail just disappeared. (laughs) 